0: Welcome to the Next Level Brands podcast, where we share stories about the food and CPG world with experts in the trenches about how to build a successful brand today. Now, your host, G. Stephen Clear.
1: Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us today on the Next Level Brands podcast. We're brought to you today by Kitchen to Shelf, the educational arm of Next Level Brands, and providers of online and in-person courses and workshops for CPG entrepreneurs at any stage of growth. If you're selling on a regional basis at farmer's markets, or maybe just online, and you want to expand your retail distribution, you should look into the courses and webinars available from Kitchen to Shelf. Want to learn more about distributors, co-packers, trade funding? Kitchen to Shelf can help you learn what you need to to know to grow. Details available at kitchentoshelf.com. That's kitchen, the number two, shelf.com. Hi, everyone. I'm Steve Clear. And as you know, One of my favorite things to do is to talk with founders who have a background in large consumer packaged goods companies because they come at it with such a different perspective. And my guest today is one such industry vet. Melanie Kahn is the founder of Poppy Lou Lemonade, a business she started in 2017 and which has recently added a new kids product line that launched in Walmart and is expanding rapidly. And we're going to talk a lot more about that. Poppy Lou is based in Chicago where Melanie started her career in CPG before creating and nationally launching the Fairlife dairy brand, which I'm sure most of you have heard of. It's now part of Coca-Cola, and then she became an entrepreneur with her own venture. Welcome to the show, Melanie.
0: Thank you so much for having me. By the way, I must commend you. You have a wonderful voice for uh, for podcasts.
1: <laughs> thank, thank you very much. Uh, <laughs> in, in, in Way, 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 way back um, before the turn of the century, um, I actually spent some time in radio as a There, talk you, show. Go. there
0: and, you go. There you go.
1: Yeah. And, and so it, it kind of... It, comes back every once in a while. So, uh, <laughs> but hey, I, I really, and I, I meant what I said up, up front is I, I really love programs where having worked with my own agency with large CPG firms for years, um, have a lot of pals in the business and whatever. And I know we look at things in a different perspective than just someone who says, um, I'm going to uh, launch a plant-based cookie because I want to change the way people eat. Right. So it's, it's a different perspective. So can you tell us a little bit about how did you always have entrepreneurship in your blood? Uh, and how did you make that transition from major CPG to to launch and populate?
0: That's a great question. So, you know, I I had a great long career in big CPG and it was fun. And, you know, I worked on big brands with big teams and big agencies and big budgets. Um, And then I had just an amazing opportunity to create the Fairlife Dairy brand um, and launch that nationally with Coca-Cola. And it was such an exciting ride to be part of a, a, a startup, a successful startup. One that was very well funded, mind you. Um, But it was so exciting to have such a great success um, through Fair Life that I knew after that I couldn't go back to sort of the regular brand management positions at the big CPGs. I had to do something uh, exciting and really uh, to give myself another challenge that I had yet to incur. So that's what entrepreneurship, um, that's why entrepreneurship became. Um, exciting for me, and I wanted to to do it. And in terms of Poppy Lou specifically, you know, I happened to be pregnant with my second child at the time when I was considering what you know what what was going to be my product, what was I going to launch. And my daughter, my who was just inside my inside my tummy at the time, gave me this insatiable craving for citrus and I couldn't satisfy it with anything on the market Uh, everything the lemonades out there were really sugary they didn't have a great uh, hit of citrus or on the flip side you know there were a lot of interesting functional single serve beverages out there but they were really niche and they were expensive and they had kind of unique funny tastes and I just wanted a damn good really citrusy lemonade that wasn't bad for me and so I said well gosh this is kind of basic, but why the heck not? Let's get into the lemonade category. And so I did.
1: <laughs> and and it's okay. So when you, all right, you've got it, all right? Citrusy lemonade, we're cool. Now, did you like go hit up some friends for Nielsen and Spins Data? Did you go to the stores and take pictures of the section? What'd you do? Y-
0: yes, all that. And then some, you know, as an entrepreneur, you typically don't have access to a lot of data, but I've got some connections. I was able to kind of get my hands on whatever I could glean some, some insights and data, just spent time in the grocery stores, looking at what the competitive landscape looked like. And frankly, again, because I was in that mode of consumer and craving lemonade, I was looking for the product to suit myself and I couldn't find it. It didn't exist. So I set out to create to create my own. And I wanted to make sure that when I created a brand that I wasn't just targeting the foodie elite with a high priced, um, high priced beverage that, you know, that couldn't be accessible to the mainstream sure, sure. consumer. You know, it's, it's a drink. You drink it for refreshment. You don't need to spend five bucks a bottle on it. So <laughs> I wanted to make sure that I, that I crafted a project that would have mainstream appeal, not just in terms of the, of the formulation and the branding, but also for the price. And
1: when you started out, um, obviously you, you tried a bunch of other, other products that were out there as well. So how did you work on the quote unquote recipe? How did that go?
0: Yeah. I mean, first and foremost, especially in the lemonade category is sugar. And, you know, even though that was 2017, the, the, um, consumer, consumer interest in, in items that are low sugar certainly persists, if not being even more, uh, a, a stronger trend today than it was even when I started. Um, so I knew that had to be the first, the first, um, the, the first product attribute that I had to hit again, I wanted that really citrusy taste. I wanted some interesting flavors like blueberry, lavender, and passion fruit—things that I thought that would taste good. Um, and certainly, when we went into product development, those were some of the best flavors that that we got out of the the nine or ten different flavors that we experimented with. Um, and then I wanted some high vitamin C. You know, to, for me, high vitamin C is kind of synonymous with with citrus. And I was really surprised in the category that. Less Lemonade, most lemonades have almost none, like literally 0% vitamin C. I said, well, how is that possible that there's no vitamin C in lemonade? Um, and reality is that, you know, they're, they're mostly just sugar and water with a little bit of lemon. And that's also why you don't get a really strong lemon taste. So, you know, the whole you kind of have to get the whole the whole the whole package together of all the different of all the different um product attributes kind of have to have to work together the citrus and the flavor and the sweetness and the and the vitamin c and and all that good stuff just has to be the the whole package and as any formula developer product developer will tell you they're all kind of they're all interrelated they all work with each other so um it was getting that that right bundle and, and of course of there are some
1: important there are some lemonade drinks that they don't have any lemon in them at all.
0: <laughs> so, <laughs> probably, probably.
1: Lemonade flavored. Exactly. Okay, I got it. Exactly. How, how did that happen?
0: Lemonade like. Um,
1: when you were working on that, Melanie, um, you were driving it mostly by your own taste, obviously, at that point. Did you mm-hmm. do some focus group or friends, family kind of stuff to to put the flavors around before you chose them?
0: Not really. <laughs> okay. No, and Wait. I only said I you know I, I I would have my husband taste and you know obviously the the formula developer um you know I would have I would have people at my co-packer taste people who were familiar with lemonade knew what good lemonades were. So I had a lot of people um you know, not necessarily consumers, but people who were kind of in the industry uh, that I was working with do a lot of tasting, and the feedback was really strong. And that you know, we get that great feedback today. People say, "Gosh, you just have the best tasting lemonades," um, and so yeah, I'm, ha- I'm happy with how things worked out.
1: And and you should be. Um, you know, it. We we often talk to entrepreneurs who are who say, oh, my God, I, I, I went through, you know, uh, 18 formulations or 20 formulations <laughs> and in my kitchen sink and my 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 husband or my wife was about ready to throw me out. Um, you know, did, did you start out bottling and stuff in a kitchen or commercial kitchen or did you go straight to a co-packer?
0: is no, it would be a really nice romantic story to for me to tell that i was in my kitchen barefoot and pregnant mixing lemonades and no, but no that <laughs> that didn't happen i went straight to the co-packer found a wonderful co- co-packer who um honestly like when you have a great relationship with your co-packer it makes all the difference i mean these guys are like my extended team I, they i i feel like they're they're friends you know i call them up and text them on at all at all random hours and you know we've got to know each other so well over the years. And I really, its just a level of, of professionalism and trust and friendliness um, that they're really just an extension of my team that I don't have to pay a salary to. <laughs> that,
1: that, that's great. You know, I, they may be candidates for guesting in a future program because I'm trying to get a couple of co-packers together. You know, we all, you know, when us in the industry get together, we all have co-packer horror stories. <laughs> <laughs> the problem is they don't, don't take into account that co-packers have client horror stories. Oh, too, yes. Right You know, And you say, oh, I can't believe that the guy wanted 50% up front. Well, that's because friend, he's been burned a hundred mm-hmm. times mm-hmm. by people coming out with whatever the greatest latest bar is yep. or something, you know, right? Yep. And it's like, yeah, buddy. Okay. You know, just put the money down here and then we'll, then we'll talk. So yeah, that'd be very good. I'd like to to learn more. uh, Absolutely. Well,
0: as, as my co-packer tells me, they say, Melanie, you are the most pain in the ass client for the smallest business, but we really (laughs) like you. So we're going to keep on working with you, but we never want anyone else like you in our portfolio.
1: (laughs) Let me touch back real quick on transition from, um, from big CPG. So you're obviously going about doing this the right way right? You're, you're doing the formulations, you're doing the Copac or whatever else, but you know, I mean, what the challenges are in trying to grow distribution. So what was your plan and did it go according to plan?
0: Um, it didn't go according to plan. My plan was to get as much distribution as quickly as possible. That part did go to plan. Um, I picked up uh, about 550 stores my first year. What didn't go to plan is that I didn't do it very smartly, um, and that was a, a, a major learning for me. Um, for my first rodeo in uh, in as, as a true entrepreneur, I felt like I had to say yes to everything. So every new customer, you know, I reach out to a new customer and we get the customer and they'd say, can you do a free fill? I'd be like, sure, we can do a free fill. And how many stores? Oh yeah, that's fine. We can, we can do that. Uh, what I realized is, you know, you don't have to say yes to everything. All new distribution isn't good distribution. Not all retailers are the right fit. Um, you know, you could have an issue with freight being too costly because all the your retailers are really far from your warehouse or they have a small number of locations, so you're shipping you know inefficient small quantities, um, or maybe you don't have the they maybe they're not the right fit because you don't have the means to properly support them with merchandising or demos. so i learned I learned a lot um in that first year uh, that i I don't want to repeat. <laughs>
1: There, There is, um, and, and I've spoken to a couple of people about it before, and I, I name it the, uh, it's the bridge too far uh, after the old World War II film of um, the British trying to paratroop all these guys down on all like seven or eight different bridges in Holland. And the guys, and then the troop ground troops come along to, to help them out, of course. Well, the ground troops didn't get to the last guys at the furthest bridge and they got slaughtered. Oh. And um, it's this idea of, having points of distribution is great, but the metric is sales per point of distribution. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And if you just keep getting new points of distribution with no increase in velocity or volume through, then it it isn't worth having. And it costs money, which Mm -hmm. is another thing entrepreneurs don't necessarily realize. Oh, wow. You know, uh, I was working with somebody on onboarding yesterday for Albertsons and they said, so, well, let me add that up. So if that's 200 stores, that's 200 cases per SKU, pre-fill uh-huh yes it, well, we don't do 200 cases like any right okay welcome to the club mm-hmm, you no know, this mm-hmm. is how it's going to be so it, it, it's good that you at least you know got through that but it is hard when someone wants to carry your product and that's your lifeblood to say no
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's, re- it's really hard and there's also you know you also have going back to our conversation about co-packers you also have minimum production runs so you've got all this inventory you need to make sure you sell through it before right. you hit your your expiration date, um, so you want to get it out to market, but it, yeah, it's it's a it's a toughie. You've got to be able to navigate um, navigate the distribution wins that you want versus the production the the, the, the inventory that you have to have on hand and the, the production minimums. Um, you know, and then you get these you, you get you you get retailers that want that free fill. And it's just so easy to say, oh sure, because you want to get that you want to get that into that customer. But maybe you just offer half a case, or maybe you offer them a free fill on two of your three items. Um, right. And you really have to know the cost of that free fill to your business. How many cases do you then need to sell to make up for that 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 free fill? And how how long will it take you to sell that many? And I think um, you know, free fill and slotting is all negotiable. And that's I didn't realize that I had the power to negotiate. Um, and you know, you may not get your slotting or free fill to a level that you're comfortable with, but it's okay to walk away at that point. You're not going to ruin the relationship with that retailer. They'll get it. They understand that you're not ready financially for them. Um, or there's other creative ways to do it. You could suggest to the retailer that instead of doing slotting, maybe you just divert, you know, put that in the exact same amount into customer marketing for them. So they're still you're still spending, but you're spending in a way that supports the business as opposed to just going into a slotting bucket that you never see the light of, the right, light of day
1: off. Yeah. You know? um, we were stretched out a little bit on your distribution. Uh, how, how did you handle that? Was that. Did
0: you uh, I learned the hard way I lost some of it. <laughs> I, right. I lost oh, some yeah. of that distribution yeah um, and these, these are the lessons learned the hard way early on in, we pivoted to a kid's pouch uh, last year and at that point you know having been at this business for a, a couple of years it was almost gave me a sort of a fresh start I was like all right I knew what I did wrong on the first product line and how we went to market then I'm not gonna have, have those same mistakes again now and I'm in a position I'm very fortunate that the retailer reception to our kids pouches has been really strong to the point where I've been able to be a little bit more choosy and I've said okay you know what that customer is not right for us let's not even pitch them or I'm not going to spend that those crazy slotting dollars let's go to someone else and I'm at the point actually where knowing how much it costs to serve these retailers um, I've kind of I've put a a a line in the sand where I said you know what we've got enough distribution for 2021 I don't need to go out and get Let's focus on the retailers we have. Let's knock it out of the park and do well in the, in those retailers. And we'll get more in 2022.
1: Absolutely. Let me ask you about if, if you're willing to share, Um, did you do your customer personas and, and who's your customer?
0: I've never done a customer persona. <laughs> I don't have Karen. Oh, there is no yeah. there is no Karen with... Um, oh, no. no, Karen with 2.4 <laughs> kids? Come on. 2.4 kids and her Instagram feed looks like this and she watches this kind of stuff on, on her um, Oh, that's going to be
1: very disappointing for a number of the people. I what are
0: her Netflix shows? Right, no, right
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: I'll tell you who, who is my persona. My persona, I'm targeting moms, of kids who are ages six to 12, she um, is an average American consumer. She likes things that are a little bit healthier for her for her kids, um, wants to give them something that tastes good, isn't strictly restricting her kids to water and non-dairy milk. That's my consumer. There are yeah. lots of them. Some of them are named Karen. A lot of them are not. Right. And, uh, <laughs> that's, and that, awesome. that, that's my market. Um,
1: you want to share with us where the name Poppy Lou came from?
0: Oh, you said it perfectly, too. I love that. Um, So the name Poppy everyone wants to know, where the heck does this name come from? Um, It's certainly not an English-sounding name. Well, the story, of course, is I go back to the the days when I was pregnant and craving citrus. And the idea, of course, to go into the lemonade category was sparked because of that citrus craving, which I owe to my now four-year-old daughter. Her name is Poppy. So Poppy Lou is literally just a a play on her name, just a little nod to the to the little baby that that gave me that that citrus craving in the first place. The only problem, of course, is that I have a son and he is sick. So he's actually he was around when she was born. He did not give me the craving and he hasn't asked me yet why I named the brand after his little sister and not after him. I feel terrible. It's going to be a really uncomfortable conversation when it happens. Um, <laughs> but Zachary's lemonade just doesn't have the same ring as as Poppy Lou. So yeah, but we know. could
1: maybe find Zach's something. There's another, there, there's another product out there. Could
0: Zach could Zach's hard lemonade? We're going to go into the hard lemonade market in a few yeah. years.
1: So we we we're talking about that. And in Poppy Lou, by the way, folks, is spelled P O P P I L U. Uh, and what's what's the the website, Melly?
0: poppyloo.com so we do sell our we sell our lemonade pouches online certainly you can also find them in retailers and those retailers are listed on our store locator which we update almost every day because there's new retailers coming on board almost every day so it's uh constantly growing
1: and you've had a good a good launch with uh with the uh stores for the the kids the kids line and stuff what's what's the story behind that
0: um, so yeah, the kids line is growing. It's um, we've got Target coming on board with a thousand stores in April, which I'm so excited about, wow. and a whole bunch of other retailers, several divisions of Albertsons, and um, uh, yeah, just we're 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 super excited. It's going to be a big year for us, and I can't wait. How did
1: COVID, if it did affect either supply side or customer side and stuff, how did the pandemic affect you?
0: So it kind of sucked. And here's why. Only for one reason, which is our favorite friend in Bentonville, Arkansas, which when COVID hit, their forecast went through the roof for our products. So we had to produce all that extra inventory for their forecast. And then Mm. when they they realized that, oh, it wasn't such a big deal, the category isn't going to fly through the roof, they revised their forecast and we were left with a whole lot of inventory. So that was not very fun. (laughs) That's how COVID impacted us.
1: Um, yeah. And, and, and there's it, it, no, no real consolation, but you weren't the only one that that happened to. Um, there were some people who are just scrambling to make enough inventory. Cause there was stuff that just did go through the roof yeah, and absolutely. they couldn't get enough of it. And, um, and then painfully, um, one person I talked to, um, who was on the show, um, but I'll, I'll spare his name. <laughs> um, they had one ingredient, one that got supply chain crunched Uh, and unfortunately it was a critical uh, component Um, and and literally just like for two months could produce nothing and had orders flying you know i mean it was just it was awful yeah oh it's painful it's just yeah painful but you you don't think about that i mean the, the the supply chain stuff besides just ingredients maybe being unavailable but also people when they were compl- I would have friends who know I'm in the business who would say why isn't there enough hand sanitizer or toilet paper in the store and I they why don't they just make more i go no you don't understand the factory was running at 100% efficiency mm-hmm. the day before the pandemic started mm-hmm. there's no there's no make it run faster mm-hmm. there's no right it's it's just in time supply chain that's right and guess what you guys change your buying habits, <laughs> not you right. know right, how that right. works. It's going to take a while to to, to catch up, and no you know figure that out. Um, so you're talking about 2021 now. You've, you've got the new distribution coming up at Target and stuff. What are in 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 these days when you can't demo and stuff? What are you doing to introduce people to the to the product?
0: Social media, my friend. Everything is social, right? Like that's that's the best way to reach consumers. You know, it's funny, you know, when I started my career, it, it was a different time. We had big brands, all these startups didn't exist. So we had big brands. We would do, you know, those coupons in your Sunday newspaper when people sure. actually used to get newspapers. Um, we would do TV ads when people actually used to watch like regular TV and would see ads. <laughs> like, we do radios, ra- you know, ra- radio spots. Like all those tactics that I used to do are no longer relevant. They were also, they would also be beyond my reach anyway, as a startup, I don't have the funds sure. to do the, that kind yeah. of media. There's no sampling. There's no like field activation with um, brand ambassadors and that kind of stuff. So everything is moved uh, online. I like that because it's manageable. It's um, it's very, very targeted. You can kind of pay as you go. You don't have to spend um, hundreds of thousands. If you don't have it, you can literally just do, do what you need to do to target those consumers. So um, <laughs> um, that's, you know, yeah. the, the, and, and I will say, you know, our business is because it's lemonade, there is some seasonality. So it's not like in the middle of winter, I need to be spending heavily on advertising, uh, even on social media. Um, but you know, now that we're in February, uh, uh, and now spring's approaching, um, it will, uh, our, our, our season, our season back. begins and, and we'll be spending heavily.
1: Yeah. I, I think it's, um, you know coming from the the agency side and we did a lot of work in managing trade spending um promotional mm-hmm. spending that was really our, our 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 specialty and um i sit down now in presentations from agencies on social media and i look at the budgets and i go my god this is so cheap just sign up for it
0: mm-hmm. go for it, do
1: mm-hmm. do it you know it's like I, i'm sorry you want to spend you know you want me spend like 3000 in a month it's like 3000 wouldn't get me you know, a hundred thousand households. And, Mm -hmm. and, you know, I I mean, it's, it's amazing how much, how many people you can reach influentially now with not a big budget.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: You know, and also if, if you're really clever, you work with the right people and you have some D2C, you also can see immediate effect for what you do. Mm -hmm. You don't have, you don't have to wait a long time. Right. Or if you, like launch, uh, you know, you launch your strawberry uh, cardamom, you know, whatever, on your website, and it doesn't go anywhere. Guess what? You don't put it out in retail. Right, right
0: like, exactly. Yeah,
1: we we got this. We got this figured out. So, you know, it it uh, it really works. Um, so, it, it, again, if, let's go back. If you had to, if you had to do it all over again, how would you change your go to retail strategy? Would you limit stores? Choose different stores? What would you do? Um,
0: if we had to change our retail strategy. Um, I would, um, I would have gone slower in the beginning, taken on fewer stores and just really focused on, on those ones as opposed to going too big, too fast. Um, now I'm in a position where we can go to a lot of stores, which is, which is really fun, um, and get bigger customers. And, you know, there's, there's a really, as any salesperson, I'm sure will tell you is really fun getting new, getting wins. Um, oh yeah. But then the work just is, that's just the beginning, right? Like then you have to support um, and you have to be, you know, you have to have your, have your trade plan and, you know, we'll support with, um, you know, with geo-targeted social media and couponing and and whatnot. So um, yeah. So I would have planned my retail differently. I would have, Certainly, um, said no to some opportunities that I previously said yes to, where I spent big bucks on slotting that really wasn't smart. Where the the slotting was way too high for what we were trying to do at the time, um, but I wasn't smart enough then to kind of say no and to really run the numbers as well as I as well as I do now. Um, you know, other things that that I think about now from a distribution perspective is freight, you know, shipping beverages is expensive. And I Ooh, didn't yeah. appreciate that as much, um, in the beginning as I do now. And I really am, am dug into my P and L and, and, you know, I'm not looking to expand to the West coast just yet shipping over the Rockies is expensive. Um, or if I do, I want to make sure that I'm shipping high volume to a very limited number of, of warehouses. Right. to get those freight efficiencies so all these things i never truly appreciated in the beginning that now i now i can
1: um millie let me ask you i it, obviously the the show is is Poppy Lou focus but i i would be remiss if i didn't have a chance to ask you a little bit about fair life yeah um i i'm and, and I'm, I'm i'm gonna get this wrong but i i gotta put it out there anyway so my idea for the business is i'm gonna create a nationally branded milk the the commodity, the, the biggest commodity in the store, milk, oh, um, price supported, milk, local producer, private label, right? Milk. My idea is fair life. Can you tell me a little bit about the <laughs> genesis of that and, and <laughs> what what were they thinking?
0: A great question. So, um, what were we thinking at the time? Listen, Fairlife has this amazing proprietary technology that allows them to filter milk and separate it into its five core components, and then sort of remix it back um, in a very gentle process uh, to to put more calcium back in, or more protein back yep. in, or filter out the lactose. So. Knowing that you could kind of design this milk that was better for you than what was currently out there and it had a longer shelf life and tasted clean and fresh um, and was on trend with, again, higher protein, higher calcium, less sugar, uh, no lactose. That was a really big game-changing idea in a category that, that you just described as just being kind of local, locally produced milk. Um, I don't think anyone and no one ever thought milk could be anything other than what you described. So to be the first to the market with something really revolutionary and different was really, really exciting. Um, And so we just delivered something that that didn't exist brought consumers, you know, consumers who had left the category to go to things like almond or soy, cause they thought those were healthier. And then they realized there's really nothing in them that's really that healthy. Um, and yeah. now all of a sudden they could come back to milk and it was lactose-free, so it was easier on their stomach and it had less sugar. So, and things they never even thought about, like do, do, do consumers even know that milk had that much sugar? Natural sugar, sure, certainly. But, you know, we kind of brought to light um, insights for consumers that they didn't even know they had and we created a need that they didn't know realize was an unmet need at the time
1: <laughs> and yeah and a, a category disruptor for sure i mean it's a great it's a great story i mean that's just
0: it was you know, fun it was a re- it was a really really fun time
1: absolutely absolutely uh, awesome, awesome job i mean just, just, <laughs> just
0: um, and i wasn't the only one there were you know Coca-Cola oh, yeah. was a huge huge part of it of course we would never have gotten the distribution that we that we were able to get from the beginning Um, with if it weren't for them we
1: did an interview a little while back with louisa lawless who's at stratus group and and they do co kombucha and um uh, ph water Mm. and um but she had worked on the launch of red bull in the u.s Mm, right and it's like we're talking about kombucha we're talking about you know the whole night and but i i I keep like dipping back on can we just talk about like red bull and extreme sport how did you guys figure that? you know figure that out? yeah, because, exactly. because that's part of what you know you bring to what you what you bring to Populu and in building it is it, going to be obviously part of that fair life experience um in in going forward. and it certainly has to be, you know it has to be helpful. you know um what what was one of the things that you um you know, that you kind of thought you knew but didn't coming out of big CPG to entrepreneurial CPG?
0: Hmm. I thought I knew everything. Oh, yeah, yeah. Seriously, you oh, yeah. work in big CPG, and then you have this base big startup, and you're like, "Oh shit, I know how to do this." God, I knew nothing. And it was one of these things where you know everyone says, "Oh, you know, you had this background in big CPG, so you probably know everything that you're doing." And and um, I would say that I got to first base. Pretty quickly, because I knew enough to get to first base. Um, felt confident in what I was doing and how to get there, manufacturing and packaging, design and pricing and go to market. And uh, so I, I felt confident in what I was doing to get to first base. But when you get to first base, it became very clear to me that all these other startup brands that were my, my peers they were running circles around me after first base. Cause they, it, it might've taken them longer to get there to that same first base. But then all of a right. sudden, you know, they, they're super young and entrepreneurial and they know all the t- t- the, the tips and tricks, especially digitally. Um, and I've been so impressed by uh, by these by these people who are literally half my age and just running circles around me. And it's, it's really fun to watch. And I get to learn from them as well. You know, I was in an incubator program with Kraft Heinz and some of the brands there. You know, we're all, we're all still in touch to this day. I learn stuff from them all the time on what I should be doing. They learn stuff from me as sort of the, the more traditional tried and true tactics. Um, and I learned some of the, the newer stuff that, uh, that, that, you know, my growing up in big CPG was uh, at a time when, when the tactics were very different. And so now they teach me a lot to try to help bring me up to speed to to the 2020s here from a marketing perspective.
1: Did Did you find, now you were on the brand side, right, in big CPG. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Did you find you gained a new respect for the salespeople
0: oh, when you I became did. an entrepreneur? Yeah, well, now I, now I know what they do. And I feel and I and I can truly say that because I am the lead salesperson for Poppy Lou. I'm on all the all the, the the pitches to retailers and setting up the new items and entering the promotions and managing the 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 trade spend. And um I net didn't I didn't know how to do that before. And I have sort of learned over the years as an entrepreneur trial by fire on on how it's done. It's been from that perspective, it's been so fun being an entrepreneur because. I have learned every aspect of the business. Whereas previously in Big CPG, you know, I, I had a I had a high-level view of every aspect of the business, but I'd had functional expertise in none. Really, you know, you're really m- very much a general manager. And now, because I have to, I'm a functional expert in every area uh, as well as being a general manager. And um, so from a professional development perspective. Uh, and just intellectual growth, professional growth has been the most amazing four years. <laughs> I could—it's just really fun. This is awesome.
1: That's yeah, and and that's one of the aspects about about entrepreneurship of of doing you know kind of doing all those things and and learning learning about it and production. You know, it's like one of the things of you know working with a co-packer and understanding um, what your choice of bottle or whatever might mm-hmm. have done, right? You know, mm-hmm. versus totally. What what we're doing out there? So you, you you try to you know you try to go forward with it as best you can. Um, obviously, you don't don't want to spill anything proprietary or whatever else. But what's what's down the line for Poppy Lou?
0: Oh, honestly, right now, as I feel, I I like to say that we are just focusing on those kids' patches for now, and that's enough. You know, I don't want to have I don't want to give you a list of ten things on the, that's down the line. I'm we're a young startup. We have a lot to prove uh, a lot to accomplish just on this one product line, on expanding it, on growing velocity. Um, and that's what, that is my sole focus. And I'm happy to be very singularly focused. Uh, and I think that's what what a brand at our stage needs to be right now.
1: Yep, and I, it's, I think that's a great idea. Um, we often ask our guests to try to, um, if they can, from the experience, uh, pick out what you might've considered to be your largest challenge in, in, in either your CPG career or building the brand. Cause they're both, they're both applicable. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, how you overcame that challenge, um, because yeah. our fellow entrepreneurs want to know.
0: Yeah. Well, see, so, you know, I, we, we've talked about our kids' patches. I haven't really talked about the, the single serve bottled lemonade lemonades that we started the business with. Um, and I just literally just discontinued those, uh, uh this month. And, um, you know, they've they were the core of the business, and I was so passionate about them and uh, loved the product. But started to realize over time that they weren't doing as well as I wanted them to. And it's for sort of the definition of insanity, you either change something up, or you know, you're you're if you do what you always do, you're going to get the same results. And I tried right. to make changes, and and the product line never took off to the degree that I wanted it to. And I didn't want to give up on it. And I knew better. And I knew I probably should just, you know, discontinue the product and put all my efforts toward the kids' pouches. But I wasn't ready to because it was my baby. It was how I started the business. And I still love that bottled product. Um, so, you know, from a challenge perspective, you know, that was, that, it, it wasn't a success. Um, and I didn't want to give it up. And, you know, when I made the decision finally to discontinue it and to pivot, you know, I feel good about the decision now, but it took me a long time to come to grips with it
1: and to to admit
0: failure on it. And I wasted time and I wasted resources supporting a business that I, that ultimately didn't have a, have a good enough chance of success. So, you know, it's, it's in entrepreneurship, I think we have to really, you know, fail fast as they say, um, and pivot quickly. So I failed slowly. Um, but I certainly have pivoted quickly and I'm excited about, what's next
1: absolutely and it's very very exciting to hear and and we will um we will follow it as well and maybe get you back on a program again sometime to to talk about you know the experience with with target and and dealing with all those stores it should be should be pretty amazing
0: yes absolutely well i'll be i look forward to giving a very positive update
1: okay you, you got it for sure well first of all thanks for taking the time to talk with us today and And people, it is Poppy Lou. And besides the store locator, you can find, I'm sure on the website, it's p o p p i l u and uh, you can uh, you, you can try it out uh, if you are not in the area where it's physically uh, in stores, you can always order through the website and experience the same great stuff. So, Melanie, I really appreciate it. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much. Have a good one.
1: Hey, and thanks to everybody out there for joining us today on the Next Level Brands Podcast. We're brought to you today by Kitchen to Shelf, the educational resource for CPG entrepreneurs and emerging brands. Kitchen to Shelf is also the sponsor of Words to Grow By, collection of great advice and inspiration from our guests who have appeared on the Next Level Podcast. If you need some weekly counsel from fellow founders and industry leaders, try Words to Grow By, that's words, the number two, grow by, from Kitchen to Shelf, available on Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, and by free subscription available at kitchentoshelf.com. That's kitchen, the number two shelf.com. This is Steve Clear, and we'll see you all
0: next time. Thanks for listening to the Next Level Brands podcast with G. Stephen Clear. Learn more at next with two X's, levelbrands.com. While you're there, be sure to sign up for the Next Level Brands email list or subscribe on iTunes so you never miss an episode.